Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. So as a labor reporter, is is waiting for a new workplace rule kind of like waiting for a new album? Like, new Biden mandate dropping any week now. <laughs> <laughs> it very much is. So I was texting some of my sources like, oh, shut, oh, shut, oh, shut, in capital letters. It is really exciting um, to see some changes happening because um, work at these agencies typically take a very long time, but this is happening rather quickly. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today I'm talking with labor reporter Rebecca Rainey about that new Biden vaccine mandate dropping any day now. As you said, they're moving fast. And what might happen with it once it takes effect? So it was about a month ago at this point that Biden first announced that his administration would be coming out with a sweeping vaccine mandate that covers most people working in the U.S. Where is it at this point? What sort of progress have we seen? So the mandate, uh, which is going to be implemented via what's called an emergency temporary standard from the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, that's the Federal Worker Safety Police, you could say, mm. that was just sent to the White House Office of Management and Budget for review on October 12th. Um, so what that means in regulatory speak is that's the last step before the rule is published and goes into effect. It's basically going through the review process by the White House, um, which can take days, Sometimes it can take weeks. You know, the last time the administration issued an emergency temporary standard, which was earlier this year when, you know, they laid out these mandatory steps healthcare employers must take to protect mm-hmm. their employees from COVID. That took weeks at the Office of Management and Budget. But considering the fact that DOL was able to wrap up this rulemaking rulemaking just about a month after Biden called for it, um, I think is a sign that it's going to come out of the White House Budget Office rather quickly. Um, I really have to note, like, OSHA rulemakings take a very long time, typically, to write. Um, I think, you know, some people will quote, there's a budget um, estimate that it will take about, like, several years to to write some of these rulemakings because they must legally stand up in court. They must show, they must demonstrate in these rulemakings that they have solid ground to put these requirements on businesses. So this is kind of akin to like Beyonce dropping a surprise album. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> seriously. Within, within a month of dropping her last album. So what do we know at this point about the details of, of what's really included in the federal rule? So... You know, what Biden outlined in the executive order or his executive action is really all we will know. It's Hmm. the rulemaking is private until um, it is published. Um, But what he did say when he was instructing the Labor Department to issue this is that it should apply to businesses with more than 100 employees. Hmm. Now, that itself is a big head scratcher for a lot of people who are bracing for this mandate. Does that mean 100 employees per location? Does that mean 100 employees for their, uh, you know, entire national staff? A lot of people are wondering, you know, what's the difference between someone who's part-time and full-time? What if I have 99 people and, you know, one more person would put me up to this mandate? Will people get fired or would they put someone on part-time just so that they don't fall under this mandate? There's a lot of questions looming about how this will practically apply. 
That's fascinating. Um, You recently dug through troves of data along with our colleagues Taylor Miller-Thomas, Ming Lee, and Lauren Gardner to see sort of practically where this mandate will and won't affect people, who it will and, and won't affect, who will be required to get vaccinated because of it. What were your your takeaways from digging into that? I really first want to give a lot of props to our data team, Taylor Miller, Thomas and Ming Lee, because they were the ones who really did most of the data digging on this. And I am so happy that they did because this analysis, I think, is really incredible. Um, what it showed is that all of the businesses that are going to fall under the mandate, that is, as a reminder, those people with 100 or more employees mm-hmm. or those companies with 100 or more employees all tend to be in places where there are high vaccination rates. So there are where most people work at large companies, they are more likely to be vaccinated. So where the Biden administration would like this vaccine mandate to apply is likely not going to be as effective as they hoped. And so on the alternative side, it's the same thing. Um, People are more likely to be working for smaller companies, um, that is those with less than 100 employees who won't fall under the mandate, in more rural areas where there's lower vaccination rates. Hmm. So that means those people who the Biden administration want to target won't fall under this mandate. So the whole concept behind this idea is to pride those people who have been holding out from getting the vaccine to finally get the vaccine. But the problem is it may not even apply in those areas or where those people are. I know you're not a health reporter, but I mean, it makes you wonder, like, could this essentially lead to a situation where some of the divides between high vaccination rate areas and low become just sort of more amplified? You could argue that. I think it's going to be time will tell. And Mm. I really think, again, these areas that have the lower vaccination rates, I think that's a long term trend. Um, Again, you know, the data shows this may not you know, have a a huge effect on vaccination because the places that it lands are places that have high vaccination rates already. So if it's that prod will only apply Mm -hmm. to a small slice of people um, as opposed to, you know, bringing that group all the way 100 percent like you're thinking and then creating this disparity between the two groups. Mm -hmm. Given what you've found when it comes to the the different businesses that are going to be affected by this and the different workers that are going to be affected by this, and it mostly, you know, affecting places that already have higher vaccination rates, why do you think the Biden administration didn't include smaller businesses, businesses with fewer than 100 employees in this order? And do you think they might consider doing something like that going forward? Um, I think... The reason why they stuck with this 100 number is to try and avoid upsetting the small business community. Mm -hmm. Um, Once this mandate is applied practically, it's going to be expensive either for the employers. The employers have to decide if they want to cover the cost of testing for workers who say they don't want to get the vaccine. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also going to create, you know, this legal question of workers who say, I have an exception to getting the vaccine. I have a disability or religious exception um, that is legally protected to getting this. Uh, Employers are also going to have to navigate that, um, which I think the administration is trying to be wary of small businesses who may not have the legal resources or even just, you know, connections or understanding about 
what federal laws require um, to dig into that issue. Hmm. So I think the idea behind that was to kind of shield small employers who may already be struggling because of the pandemic from, um, you know, dealing with the costs of of doing this potentially. And the idea that, you know, larger companies may be able to shelter these costs Earlier this week, Texas Governor Greg Abbott announced a rule barring um, the employers covered by this mandate from requiring their workers to get shots, effectively telling them that they cannot in Texas follow the coming mandate's rules. Um, Once this mandate is out, how do you think something like that will will play out legally? Like, should we expect to see more states pushing back and and mandates potentially not taking effect because it's getting tied up in in the courts? Like, what will that look like? From my understanding, um, because of jurisdictional issues, I believe OSHA's rule uh, will trump this Texas order just because of, you know, the federal government supremacy clause. Mm -hmm. You know, we will talk to constitutional lawyers about this as this rolls out. But again, I highly anticipate that it will go into effect for some states. There, you know, states have, there was a letter from, I, I think it was about uh, 24 state attorneys generals basically warning the Biden administration that they were going to take legal action if they do implement this standard. So we can expect, you know, there to be some sort of court battle over this. Um, whether they will get an injunction to halt it immediately will be interesting to see. Hmm. I know with legal challenges that were brought by worker advocacy groups against the Trump administration, urging them to bring forth the emergency standard I talked about earlier regarding healthcare workers, the judiciary basically said, the courts ended up ruling and saying that the federal government is the expert in this area. The Occupational Safety and Health Administration is the expert in this area, and we defer to them on these issues. Um, So basically saying the federal government is mandated to do what's right, and they task right when it comes to workplace safety, and is mandated to issue rules that protect people in the workplace. So they have the authority to do this and we defer to them. I think it's interesting now because of course this is an inverted issue uh, or an inverted argument now. It's it's a question as to whether uh, the, the government has the authority to issue this rule, not whether it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it will be really interesting to see um, and I expect the courts to potentially defer to OSHA's legal authority on this. Rebecca Rainey, thanks so much for talking with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Also today, the Department of Justice is opening a civil rights investigation into Texas's juvenile justice facilities over allegations of physical and sexual abuse against children there. On Wednesday, Assistant Attorney General Kristen Clark announced that the Justice Department, in conjunction with local U.S. attorneys' offices across Texas, was launching a pattern or practice probe into potential civil rights abuses at the correctional facilities. She said among the things investigators will look at includes the reported use of pepper spray and restraints against children, as well as allegations of improper or excessive physical force, the use of isolation in facilities, and the level of mental health services available to children there. And 
the Education Department and American Federation of Teachers have landed on a sweeping agreement to end a union-led lawsuit that accused the government of mismanaging a massive program intended to forgive the student loans of public service workers. The settlement, which was announced on Wednesday, requires the government to contact borrowers who may be eligible for the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program so they can apply for relief. The department also agreed to automatically review certain applications that were denied before for November of last year and establish a new reconsideration process for any borrower whose claims were denied. Wednesday's agreement will end a significant complaint the AFT and a group of its members first brought against former Education Secretary Betsy DeVos in 2019. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you're hearing and want to help us out, leave us a rating and review. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.